Well, good morning, everyone. It's lovely to be here. It really is. Uh, just a wee word to the AV guys. We'll do the first four slides, and then we'll do the Bible reading, and then we'll continue. I'd like to keep you on your toes, but you're very gracious. I really want to uh, thank Ken for his invitation to be here with you today. Oftentimes, when people ask us how it's going down the road, um, they'll sort of conspiratorially whisper to us, they'll say something like, of course, you've got that big church, Orangefield Presbyterian, with the cafe on your doorstep. Uh, as though we're in some sort of competition with each other. And of course, that's crazy thinking. We don't see uh, it like that at all. In fact, we're praying for you regularly that the Lord would continue to bless what he started here and multiply what he's doing here and that many, many people in our community would come to know Jesus and be discipled by your collective witness together. So as you pray for us, we're praying for you. As you probably know, each uh, Church of Ireland uh, has a particular focus on a local community. We call them parishes because we still like to use catchy phrases from the Middle Ages. So we we, we call them parishes. parishes. And clearly our parish is shared with your good self. We're going to have a wee image of it up on the screen. You'll not be able to make much sense of it, but that's how we demark our parish. And essentially we share with you a calling to bring the truth and the hope of Jesus to uh, our community here. And it may therefore interest you to know that in the latest census, there are around 7,000 people who live in our patch And of that 7,000, 2,500 of them state that they're of no religion or they're not practicing at all. That doesn't include those who would tick the box Church of Ireland, Presbyterian, Methodist, because they were baptized or married in our churches, but no longer uh, would would be following God. Um, So I think we can safely say that uh, together there's an awful lot of work that we need to do locally, and we partner with you in this. So can I say from my heart, God bless you and God bless your ministry here. We're very grateful for it. Now, we're here because we're celebrating Harvest Sunday, which, let's be honest, for a lot of us who are living off the Castlereagh Road can seem, at first glance, fairly irrelevant. Very few of us are engaged in harvest-like activities. We're not growing preparing or distributing food, except maybe in a minor way. There are not many of us who have uh, cows or chickens running about in our back garden. Actually, maybe some of you have chickens, but not many of us have those things. We may grow a few carrots or tomatoes, a few spuds, but that's about it. Instead, for the majority of us, when we want some food, we head off down to the local Tesco Other supermarkets are available. And we buy something that has been pre-harvested, wrapped up, and is ready to eat. Am I right? There's a few market gardeners. I can hear, see some people going, I cook my own, I make my own. But anyway, I believe that it is very important that every year we take time as a wider church to mark harvest. And this morning we're going to take a look together at some of the many reasons why I believe this is such an important festival. But first, a wee story. I heard a story of a woman who was shopping in Forestside. 
And as you do, she was in need of a coffee break. So she bought herself a little packet of chocolate chip cookies and a coffee. And she settled down in that cafe outside Marxies, you know the one? So she settled down there. She found a place at one of those crowded tables. She took out a magazine and she began to enjoy her cappuccino. Now, across the table from her sat another man, a stranger, who was reading his newspaper. And after a minute or two, she reached out and took a chocolate chip cookie. And as she did, the man seated opposite her reached out and took a cookie as well. (laughs) Now, this shocked her a little, but being a good Northern Irish woman, she was probably Presbyterian, she, she didn't say anything. She didn't say anything. She let it ride. And a few moments later, she took another cookie. Once again, the man reached out and took one also. Now, she was beginning to get a wee bit upset, but still, she didn't say anything. And after a few more sips of coffee, she took another one. So did the man. Now, at this stage, she was really quite angry because she knew there was only one cookie left. (laughs) And apparently, the man knew there was only one cookie left as well because before she could say anything or do anything, he took the last cookie, okay? He broke it in half. He gave her half. He ate the other half. He put his paper under his arm and he walked away, smiling at her. Now, by this stage, the woman was ripping. She was fuming with the cheek of her man. Her coffee break had been ruined. So she folded up her magazine in a rage. She opened her shop and trolley to throw the magazine in and to storm off. And there, at the top of her shop and trolley, was a bag of unopened cookies. (laughs) Now, I like that story because... It makes me think of how um, well our God treats me even when I forget about him. It also makes me think about how sometimes I do not really appreciate what I have or I don't give thanks and glory to the benevolence and love of our creative God who gives us so much goodness. It serves as a kind of reminder to me, that story, as does our Old Testament reading today, which we'll turn to now. It's a reading from Deuteronomy chapter 8, and the gents will stick it up on the screen for us because they're very gracious. There we go. Actually, can we, have you got the passage in another form? Because that's just some verses from it. Thank you. As it's coming up there, let me explain. So Moses is an old man. He's about to die, and he's gathered the people of God on the very boundary of Canaan, just looking out into Canaan, and he's sharing with them uh, a lot of his teaching. It's like his last will and testament, if you like. And this is uh, Deuteronomy 8. I'll read it to you. So Moses speaking. I'll just have a sip of water. Be careful to follow every command that I am giving you today so that you may live and increase and may enter and possess the land that the Lord promised on oath to your forefathers. Remember how the Lord your God led you all the way in the desert these 40 years to humble you and to test you in order to know what was in your heart, whether or not you would keep his commands. 
He humbled you, causing you to hunger, and then feeding you with manna, which neither you nor your fathers had known, to teach you that man does not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. Your clothes did not wear out, and your feet did not swell during these forty years. Know then in your heart that as a man disciplines his son, so the Lord your God disciplines you. Observe the commands of the Lord your God, walking in his ways and revering him. For the Lord your God is bringing you into a good land, a land with streams and pools of water, with springs flowing in the valleys and hills, a land with wheat and barley, vines and fig trees, pomegranates, olive oil and honey, a land where bread will not be scarce and you will lack nothing. A land where the rocks are iron and you can dig copper out of the hills. When you have eaten and are satisfied, praise the Lord your God for the good land he has given you. Be careful that you do not forget the Lord your God, failing to observe his commands, his laws and his decrees that I am giving you this day. Otherwise, when you eat and are satisfied, when you build fine houses and settle down, And when your herds and flocks grow large and your silver and gold increase and all you have is multiplied, then your heart will become proud and you will forget the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. We'll stop there. This is God's word. So remember the story. The people of God had been miraculously delivered out of bondage in Egypt They'd uh, received God's commandments in Mount Sinai, and uh, then they'd spent 40 years in the rebellion, struggling their way through the wilderness of Sinai. And here they are on the border of Canaan, with Moses describing to the people after so many years of struggle that they're about to enter the promised land. They're about to uh, live that dream that they've shared for so long. And they're going to have an abundance of good things. Now I'm going to read verses 7 to 9 again. Let your imaginations go, okay? Pretend you're the people on the border of Canaan and listen to these words and how they would have impacted you. So Moses says, The Lord your God's bringing you into a good land, a land with brooks, streams, deep springs gushing out into valleys and hills, a land with wheat and barley, vines, fig trees, pomegranates, olive oil, and honey, a land where bread will not be scarce and you will lack nothing. Sounds incredible, doesn't it? I imagine that the uh, people of God are licking their lips in anticipation. But, but, there's a potential danger which Moses outlines to them in the following verses. And that's that they might get into the promised land. They may settle there, enjoying their prosperity, and then get so used to it that they forget the God who gives everything good to them. That they forget the God who gives everything good to them. As the New Revised Standard Version puts verse 17, Do not say to yourself, My power and the might of my own hand have gotten me this wealth. Now, I think today as we celebrate harvest that we also need to guard against a similar danger. Despite our recent economic wobbles as a nation, 
we still live in one of the most prosperous societies that has ever existed. And listen, like you, I enjoy this abundance. I give thanks for it. However, we need to be very careful. We need to be very careful because in our prosperous society, we may be like what Moses warns the people against. We may uh, become so self-satisfied in our prosperity that we will forget the Lord our God who's behind it all. We become comfortably numb. Our faith becomes flabby. It's like because we don't need to trust God to survive, we end up not trusting God at all. We're in danger not only of forgetting our God, but also in danger of forgetting our fellow man. Not everyone shares our prosperity. In all, in the most recent statistics available, more than 2.2 billion, 2.2 billion people in our world live on less than $2 a day. And in our reading from Deuteronomy 8, Moses points out that material prosperity for which we give thanks has these very real dangers associated with it. And he gives us strategies for dealing with those dangers. And we're going to look at four of these strategies together. Strategy number one, then, is to remember. It's interesting when you talk to folk, isn't it? Especially those who are more senior among us that you find out many people grew up in circumstances that were much more humble than what they enjoy today. I remember my grandmother used to cringe whenever we we would say how much a Chinese takeaway or a meal out would cost. And she would nearly invariably say something along the lines of, I could cook you something much nicer at a fraction of the cost. And Moses' first strategy for the Israelites to protect themselves against the potential dangers of material comfort is to remember where you've come from. Remember where you've come from. Verse 2 of our reading, he says, Remember how the Lord your God led you all the way in the wilderness these 40 years. Verses 14 to 16, he warns the people not to forget the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. He led you through the vast and dreadful wilderness. He gave you manna to eat in the wilderness. Moses says to the people, remember, look back and remember the faithfulness of God. I find it really interesting when he asks them to remember that he doesn't shy away from the struggles of the past, He mentions the slavery, the wilderness, the snakes, and the scorpions. And he tells the people, in all of this, in all of life, in the ups and downs, look how God has brought you to where you are now. God has come through for you. We too need to be people who look back over our lives and remember with thanks the faithfulness of God the faithfulness of God in our difficult times and in our happy times, in times of need and in times of plenty. Our God is faithful and he will finish with us and in us what he started. So look back and remember. Let's move on. 
Obviously, I had too much coffee this morning. In verse 3, Moses reminds the people that man does not live by bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. And a second strategy for living faithfully in our relative prosperity is to hunger after and delight in our God. Now, Moses was probably referring to God's words, those directions for life that uh, God spoke to Moses to pass on to the people because they were terrified of engaging with God directly. And now God has given us a fuller revelation in our holy writings, the Bible. Now I know, being Presbyterians, you are people who love the Word of God. But just as God taught the people of Israel to look daily for fresh manna in the wilderness. Tell me, are you feasting on fresh manna from the word of God? Or are you relying on the stale stuff? Are you relying on the stuff you read maybe a month or two ago, a year ago? Or are you setting aside time to be with your God daily to listen to him through his word? More than this, are you hungering after the God to whom the Bible points? When I think of Moses' words that man does not live on bread alone, I remember how Jesus described himself as the bread of life. And in our supermarket-dominated culture, bread is no longer a core food. But for the people of Jesus' time, bread was a staple. It was central. It was important in their diet. We spent just over six years of our life working in Thailand. And the way in which the Thais valued rice began to help me understand what Jesus meant when he said, I am the bread of life. My Thai friends wouldn't feel that they had eaten unless they had a bowl of rice, even for breakfast. It was hard to get used to. So they had a little phrase which they used to greet each other. It was ginkao Yang, which literally means, have you eaten rice already or not yet? That's how central rice was to them. So rice in Thailand, like bread in first century Palestine, is an indispensable everyday basic. And Christ, the bread of life, is also absolutely fundamental to our lives. So a strategy for living faithfully in our relative prosperity is to keep feeding on him. Friends, is Christ so central that we know we need him, that we feed on him daily, we make it our priority to be with him and to draw life from him every day? I love the way C.S. Lewis put it. He says, we are half-hearted creatures, fooling about with drink and sex and ambition, when infinite joy is offered to us We're like an ignorant child who wants to go on making mud pies in the slum because he cannot imagine what is meant by the offer of a holiday at the sea. We are far too easily pleased. Friends, are we far too easily pleased? Moses' challenge, reinterpreted by us in the light of the New Testament, is that at the deepest level, what we need more than everything else is Jesus, is Christ Are you hungering after him? So Moses' strategy for living faithfully in our relative prosperity is to look back and remember 
to hunger after and delight in God, and thirdly, to cultivate thankfulness. Cultivate thankfulness. In verse 10, Moses says to the people, when you have eaten and are satisfied, praise the Lord your God for the good land he has given you. In other words, we're to habitually thank God from our hearts for all the blessings we receive. Now, the point here is that thankfulness is a good habit that needs to be nurtured and cultivated. Some people never cultivate thankfulness. Indeed, I think that we live in a culture where we've largely forgotten how to live thankful lives, and as a society, we're suffering as a result. We've developed complaint into an art form instead of thankfulness. Tell me, are you a whinger, a moaner, or a thanksgiver? The way Moses tells it here, thankfulness is not a feeling, but a habit. He says, not when you feel thankful, give thanks, but when you've eaten and are satisfied, then praise the Lord for his goodness. Thankfulness, in other words, isn't a matter of our feelings. It's a matter of looking, seeing all of the abundance that we enjoy daily, and saying, God, thank you, because that comes from you. So can I ask you, where's your habit of thankfulness at this morning? Are you a thankful people? In Ephesians 5, Paul, who's telling new Christians how they should live, writes, Give thanks to God the Father when? It'll come in a wee second. Another one. Give thanks to God our Father when? At all times. And for everything. Okay? It's not ambiguous. You see, as we give thanks over and over again, thankfulness seeps into us and becomes part of us. Do it tonight as you put your head on the pillow. Do it again tomorrow. Do it the next day. And learn and cultivate this habit of saying thank you to our God for his generosity. So we've had three strategies so far. Looking back and remembering, hungering after and delighting in our God, cultivating the habit of thankfulness, and finally keep God's commandments. Look at verse 11 with me, please. Moses says, Be careful that you do not forget the Lord your God, failing to observe his commands, his laws, and his decrees that I am giving you this day. But what commands are we talking about here? God's commandments as codified in the Ten Commandments, God's commandments as imbibed throughout the Torah, those first five books of the Bible. In all of that, God's commands have a personal morality dimension, yes, that's important, but they also have this dimension of working together for a just society or seeing God's kingdom come. For example, when the Israelites were harvesting their fields, they were told, leave the edges. Let those who have not come and earn a living by gleaning the edges of your field. They had the year of jubilee where every 50 years, all debts, all slaves were set free. The ideal was a sharing of wealth, not just that a few individuals in society got richer and the rest suffered, but there was a collective sharing of wealth. Now, I think about how those God-ordained principles apply to us as well. The majority of us have easy access to food. We go into our house, we turn a tap, we've got wonderful, clean, refreshing water. 
And yet, most people on our planet do not enjoy what we enjoy. For them, life is a real struggle. At least one in every six people worldwide is hungry right now. 22,000 children die each day because of poverty. God's creation has been marred by our individual and collective selfishness. And the question is, what are we doing to help those who are struggling? What are we doing to right the injustices that are so prevalent between those who have and those who have not? Are you praying for and campaigning to government? Are you? Are you supporting organizations that are focused on the world's poor, like Tear Fund and others? Are you involved in groups like Christians Against Poverty and Storehouse and other organizations that are seeking to help the poor in our community? It was wonderful to see that you're doing that in your way here. Are you keeping an eye out for your neighbors who maybe has lost his job and is really struggling? God's law has never solely been about personal morality. If we're to keep his commandments, then we, are, we need to... Um, While we live holy lives ourselves through the empowering of the Holy Spirit, we also need to work together towards a more just society where the rights of the poor and vulnerable are protected. Folks, it's both and. Don't privatize your faith down. It's much bigger than that. So friends, I'm finishing. On this Harvest Sunday, as most of us enjoy the relative comfort of our prosperity, the message, I suppose, is be careful. Be careful. Look back over your life and remember with thanks the faithfulness of God. Cultivate the habit of thankfulness. Hunger after and delight in Christ. And live in obedience to God's commandments, including the ones that require us to protect those who are less fortunate than ourselves. In other words, let's be a people who see our prosperity as entrusted to us from God And may God guide and strengthen us to use what he has given us for his glory and for the benefit of those around us. Amen. Let me just pause. And uh, in our church, I invite people at this stage, if it helps you, just to close your eyes for a moment. It helps me just to blot out other things. And just in this silence, I wonder... Has the Spirit of God been speaking to you today? We already had that very helpful word from our friend where the Lord was reminding us that he is your salvation. We've also been reminded of strategies that we can live by which will protect us from forgetting our good God in the context in which we live. Just in the silence, begin to respond to God in your heart. And, you know, make decisions to live differently. As we're doing that quietly, could the music group come back up, please? Let's just continue quietly to respond to God as they get into position. In your mercy, Lord, 
hear our prayers.